Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt Lesky. I am a cis white gay man and a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. If you're like me, you probably experienced it for the first time during the pandemic, but it is fast becoming a staple in healthcare practices around the country and also here at Howard Brown. Joining me today to talk about it is Dr. Sam Lin. Sam, thank you so much for coming. Would you mind introducing yourself, what your role here is at Howard Brown and your pronouns, please? Yes. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So my name is Sam Lin. I uh, use she, her, hers. And my role at Howard Brown Health is uh, the telehealth clinical lead. And I'm actually uh, also a clinician, so I see patients as well. And I am responsible for the clinical portion of the telehealth services here through the organization. Love it. Um, I always love asking that question in people's responses because it's never just like, I am blank. It's like, I do this and I'm the director of that, which oversees this. And there's always like commas on commas on commas on people's job descriptions here at Howard Brown, which I love uh, because it means everybody's kind of doing the most in the best way. Um, So I ask this question of every person on the show, um, which is what led you um, to doing this kind of work healthcare in general, and uh, why specifically at Howard Brown? Great. <clears throat> so it's a doozy, I, I know. It's a, it is a doozy. It's a, it's a good question. <laughs> I had to think about it. Uh, my background is a little um, uh, kind of <laughs> not a straight line. So I came um, into healthcare through public health. So I have a, a bachelor's in uh, clinical psychology, and I have a master's in public health, but I specialize in health promotion and international health, and I worked with populations that were high risk for HIV, uh, specifically um, in India. So I spent uh, a great deal of time in India looking at uh, the programs uh, for ART, uh, antiretroviral medication, and how to kind of um, spread uh, health communication um, in that capacity. And I, I did a lot of women's health work and Ayurvedic medicine, and that was my formative life. Um, came back, did a lot of uh, public health programming and sexual health, worked a lot with um, um, queer communities. That was another big passion piece of mine and looking at marginalized groups and um, uh, looking at queer sexual health. Uh, so did programs for Oregon State University for that. Then uh, when I uh, realized I was kind of lacking a, a scientific deficit, I had all this public health knowledge. I had all this, uh, you know, background that was looking more at like how to build programs, but I didn't know like the details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that exists. So um, I started getting into hard science, um, ended up being becoming a nurse, um, worked again with marginalized populations, uh, did work in the trauma center for several years in the ICU, worked with folks that were broken in all kinds of ways. Um, and uh, again, wanted to just kind of advance my knowledge, advance my care, picked up a second master's in women's health, and then my doctorate uh, from Columbia University in New York. Um, did some work in Columbia, um, <laughs> you know, looking again with uh, uh, women's health, sexual health, kind of marginalized populations, again, was kind of overlapping, um, and um, got really into the telemedicine applications specifically for uh, medical abortion. And this was like, I was a really early adopter of that. Uh, That was um, in 2017, before the pandemic. So looking at really the applications on the field, what does that look like? What does that look like? Oh gosh, you know, how does does telemedicine help us advance um, healthcare? And the pandemic hit and um, I found myself exclusively working with telemedicine just out of necessity. so when we moved to Chicago just a uh, you know, few 10 months ago, found Howard Brown Health just as a drive-by, thought, oh, that looks like a home to me. I, I, I saw the community and I started kind of investigating and really wanted to come join the, the family here. So I ended up uh, doing the telemo- telemedicine here. <laughs> oh, wow. That is, you say it's not as, you know, a straight line, which <laughs> most people's backgrounds really are, but the, <laughs> yeah. the through line is you're it seems like your passion for helping people in whatever capacity. So that's you. And I love how casually you're just like, Oh, I just picked up a second master's degree. As if, <laughs> as if that's yeah. somebody just, that, you know, that's something that people just do yeah. on a whim. Um, but that's yeah. Fascinating to hear your backstory. And I already <clears throat> wrote down 
Um, some topics you talked about in that, you know, um, that I might have to have you back to talk about of just your background and your your time abroad and um, abortion telehealth, which we might um, dive into later in the episode a little bit. We'll, we'll dive into it. We're going to kind of pick your brain, learn how Howard Brown uh, is going about it, learn the advantages, the scope of treatment possible with telehealth, um, kind of a little bit of everything. So you said in, in talking about yourself, you said initially you you got into telemedicine, not the pandemic hadn't happened at that point, right? So that was, um, you were realizing it was advantageous to treat who again, kind of bring me up to the beginning of how you got into telemedicine and why that became a point of interest for you. Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, like I said, I, I was an early adopter of technology mm-hmm. for looking at ways of um, telehealth. And in fact, I had kind of an embarrassing <laughs> story, but I always thought telemedicine was telephone. Like that's mm. what I thought the origin was. That yeah. you got on the phone and it was you call someone. It was like telemedicine. And that's actually not. It was uh, coined by this guy, uh, Thomas Bird, in 1970. And it means, uh, it's it, they take a, a, a two Greek words, uh, uh, telos and medikos, which means uh, healing at a distance. So tell at a distance and medikos to heal. Huh. So it's to heal at a distance. So the, um, the, that's just conceptually where telemedicine sits. Um, it's been around as long as um, technology has been around. And then during World War One, you know, you use a telegraph to, to inform about casualties or needs of medical supplies. And, you know, when the telephone was first invented, they were looking at ways to commute to um, send uh, heart tones through distance and have physicians at one location be able to diagnose heart tones from another, you know, or, or kids when, uh, with croup or cough, you know, pediatricians are able to get on the phone and listen to kids coughing to be able to, to diagnose. So we've looked at ways that to um, integrate how we use technology and how we can apply it in a healthcare setting, just scopes. And, and telemedicine as a concept came out of, of course, NASA and space and a, actually a project working with Native American communities too, how to send signals from space down and manage, manage medical care on the ground in these Native American populations. So it was, it's really had a long history that most folks don't realize, you know, they kind of just came into awareness of this. And the pandemic highlighted this need but it's always existed. The capacity's always existed. It's always been um, kind of lurking in the corners. It just became oh so obvious <laughs> that that it's not going anywhere now. Um, so to kind of answer your question, where, where I came into it, my awareness that of the benefits to serving folks that had needs that didn't have the ability to be seen in person. I've always acknowledged that. And the safety that telemedicine provides in a women's healthcare situation or in the context of that, I always kind of knew that. And at the time when I was, I, I did my, my doctoral thesis on this, the time when I was looking at a project about how to prescribe medication without having someone come into the clinic was really important and there wasn't any services that were really available. They in fact only had one or two specific companies that were utilizing like um, international water space. There was actually a ship <laughs> that that existed in international waterways that was sending um, mail order birth control to folks in the country because they existed outside the lines of what was legal. So that was like at the time when I was investigating it. Um, what year wasn't. would that have been? Oh, this was, um, I mean, this was like in the, uh, not asking you to date yourself. Yeah, no, no. I mean, what this was, I think the data was coming out in 2012 or something that I was looking at the, uh, on that, but I don't actually, I can't recall when that, when Mm -hmm. the company was first formed, but there, there was, there was just, um, questionable. I mean, when you start getting into, uh, services like that and HRT falls into that too. Mm -hmm. So for folks who don't know hormone replacement therapy or, Mm -hmm. Hormone, you know, hormone services for folks that are that are transgender, non-binary. Um, that's our other kind of wheelhouse right now. That we're looking at how to expand these services. We're looking at how to, and I know this is going to come later. Questions, but um, so there's just hot areas culturally um, that folks put a lot of heat on, like how does telemedicine, and they look at ways to restrict that or not. So I kind of gravitate, I think, to those hot areas, <laughs> um, and I want to see how I can, um, you know, lend support and lend services and, and how we can buy into this technology, buy into this relationship that we have to give the best yeah. care possible. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And you said so much and I was taking so many notes because that's an excellent point. First off, the history um, for like you said, for so many people, um, telehealth really only became a thing during the pandemic. Um, that was when I had my first telehealth um, visit. Uh, and that's, you know, the now that I think back on it, I, I, I feel like I remember my grandfather had a pacemaker. He's been he's passed away over 10, 15 years now, um, a, a while. And I remember him, he had like one of the early like fancy pacemakers where he could like hold, I think it was his phone up to his chest or something. Oh, okay. And like get his doctor would like be able to like read it instead of going into a yeah. clinic to make sure yeah. things working well, he could literally just like hold it up um, or like some sort of receiver that he got sent home with. And then it would like send it back. And that was in like the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and I remember that being the biggest deal. Yeah. And I, now that I think about it, like that's tough. He yeah. was not going into a clinic. He was just staying home and got to give his, you know, provider an update on how things were doing. And, yeah. um, you know, that, so that was early 2000s, but yeah, that's fascinating all the way back to like, you know, pre telephone, pre telegraph, any of that stuff that like we were, communicating at a distance regarding health conditions and through that communication, enabling better care for the people that needed it. So lots of uh, food for thought around that. Um, and I loved how you frame telehealth within like these current, you know, hotline healthcare issues, whether it's reproductive healthcare, whether it's um, gender affirming healthcare. That's, I think, a piece that people probably aren't thinking about, or at least I wasn't thinking about in that like, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of conversation when it comes to people like traveling across state lines um, to kind of get the the healthcare that they need. But in some cases, the travel isn't necessary. So yeah, how does that legislation shake out? I don't know. Like I said, we'll get into that maybe in more in depth in in, in a bit. But that also probably could be its own episode. So um, <laughs> in terms of you know the the pandemic, you said the pandemic brought a lot of things you know, out of the shadows. And one of them is our need for telehealth. Um, when that happened, what capacity, what role were you in? And how did that um, kind of surge in demand really, you know, either affirm that you wanted to be in this um, or kind of make you reevaluate how telehealth works or how it should be perceived? That's a great question. Um, so the pandemic, like I said, didn't, it just um, shined a light on these corners mm -hmm. that were already existing out of necessity and so, so much of telehealth was reactionary and not forethought. And that wasn't telehealth's fault. Prior to kind of this exploration or this new technology like integration, there was really no, there was no insurance um, buy-in. And mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons why telehealth, like the tech kind of ex has existed, right? We had internet, we had Zoom, we had all these things before 2020, but we didn't have the infrastructure or the reimbursement set up. And so there wasn't a lot of buy-in. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't mass utilized at that point because people didn't know how to, they were going to pay for it or what the value was. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, the pandemic highlighted this value um, out of necessity. And a lot of programs had to pivot overnight, you know, such as we all did you know, with life, mm -hmm. we had to pivot everything overnight. Um, but how to keep going, uh, how to sustain uh, healthcare um, and, and and contact with our patients through other means than in person. Um, so it was kind of a rapid fire build out. Um, and now I think in this post pandemic climate, we're looking at laying the foundation in a meaningful and thoughtful way. Like everyone wants to move forward more thoughtfully um, because as I, I actually said this earlier in a meeting, um, the pandemic highlighted this risk, but it also, or highlighted this need, but mm. it also um, illustrated that it's not going anywhere. Mm. It's not a fad. It's not, a, it wasn't a quick fix and then it's gonna blow over. Um, people uh, are, uh, not only have they integrated into their daily, you know, lived experience and their interaction with healthcare, but they come to expect it. And so when patients are expecting it and patients are requesting it, like that becomes, part of the lifeblood of the tele of healthcare. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a fix, a fix it now. It's, it's part of, it's part of the soul of healthcare. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in, in that way, we have to get right with that, <laughs> um, that it's, it's not an adjunct. Um, it's, it's another, um, it's another service line. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the, it, it validated it completely. It's no longer like a, you know, 
temporary telehealth department. Yeah. It is like, no, this is permanent and should yeah. be a core focus of, of how we operate. Yes. Um, Cause yeah, I remember my first telehealth treatment, it was for like a, a derm thing or something. Like mm-hmm. I had already been prescribed something and I just either needed a refill or I needed to like make sure that it was working. Um, and I remember like being in my, cause I lived with my parents at the time, dining room, be like, okay, yep, great, good. Looks good. I'll send the med in. And I like hung up the like <laughs> Zoom call and yeah. I was like, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Why haven't we been doing this yeah. for longer? Right? And yeah, that insistence on the back end of like, this needs to be a thing permanently. Um, yeah, it makes so much sense. And the insurance buy-in part of it is obvious, um, but it's not, again, not something I didn't think about is how much the insurance world kind of governs the scope of the kind of care that we can give and under mm-hmm. what conditions and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I mean, unfortunate that a pandemic was what was needed mm-hmm. to kind of bring this into um, standardization, I guess. But happy for it now, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, th- there's just lots of lots of things to consider. Um, in terms of the scope of treatment, mm-hmm. I think um, when people think about telehealth, like I described, it's like, thing you know either you're already a patient you are just needing a refill of something or a checkup um that like very like low mm-hmm. low um low grade treatments for things mm-hmm. i think that's what people think of mm-hmm. i'm assuming um that there's probably a big broader range of things you can do with the telehealth what what would those be what are people missing when they think about this yeah we so actually it's a, a project of ours here that we're looking at you there's lots of um primary care that can be provided. It's really anything that you don't need a physical exam, which is kind of, it's like a catch-all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like the things that are inappropriate for telehealth services are like where you need to have something on your body examined. Um, and that being said, you know, if if you had like a joint pain or if you had, uh, you know, some kind of, um, I'm thinking of like sciatica pain, you know, there are things that I can if I was seeing you clinically, that I could walk you through um, through telehealth, and we could do stretches together. I can I can see you like in that your lived space. That really um, is helpful and important diagnostically. Um, but I can't you know put my hands on your body physically. So that that you know telehealth, while it's never going to go away, it's not going to replace the physical exam. And I think that's that there there needs to be hands or their fingers on a hand that are not going to replace as a whole as an entirety. Like we're all part of the same body. Um, the same, you know, physical exam, lab work, like one thing's not going to overwhelm and replace the other, but the technology, the capacity for us to do like remote monitoring, like you were saying, like for chronic disease, like for blood sugar control, where you can just get a constant update that's sent to your provider so they can track how your blood sugars are going or how your heart rate is going. If you have, um, you know, congestive heart failure, or we're looking at ways that you can do remote monitoring for antiretroviral medications to make sure that like your levels are, are great and see check your your blood work and 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 have you know continual updates on that that's that's considered kind of a more asynchronous and I'll get into that in the future about what this what I predict is going to happen and where I want us to go um but in terms of the scope of services you know for Howard Brown specifically we're doing a huge program for HRT and you know in terms of initiating um HRT or follow-ups for that we can do um uh, HIV care um, we could do contraceptive counseling. We can do STI screening even um, where someone would come in, talk to their symptoms. We can do the intake and then can give you medications based on your symptoms and based on your clinical presentation. Or, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of options to connect you into care that may or may not necessitate a person, uh, in-person visit. Um, there's also... Uh, uh, other avenues for um, healthcare in terms of um, PrEP, that's a huge mm. one for us. We're doing, you know, mm. prep and prep starts, prep follow up, um, primary care. Um, the only things we can't really do are like the uh, physical exams. Like again, we get a lot of school physicals or health work work physicals or clearances. Those do actually require an in person. But the sky is the limit in yeah. terms of what we can do um, and what we're moving towards. You know, the common cold. The you know, there's there's so many things that, that you can see virtually first and it and then we either can route you if it's necessary to come in in person we can save you that visit or or we can take care of it right in that moment yeah. and then the other benefit too with with having visualization of your of your lived experience too like for uh, certain professions like um 
OT or physical therapy or occupational therapy, it's really important to see you in your living environment to know how you're able to manage your own day-to-day existence. Like, how are you doing your ADLs? Like, I can actually see you working in your own space. So it's actually beneficial to use telehealth in that capacity. Yeah, that uh, is fascinating. And I wrote down a flurry of questions um, <laughs> about that. Because I and I, I think overall the type of questions I have relate to just kind of this being a new new I'm putting in air quotes um, for people that are listening because it's not new but um, new in the sense of you know insurance hasn't always been on board but a, a, a new frontier in terms of healthcare where like there's not real like and I guess this is a question is there set in stone rules for what you can and cannot treat in telehealth is there set in stone rules for what you can ask of a patient via telehealth or what. Um, you know, uh, evidence or, or metrics that you're getting from a patient via telehealth is that, um, you know, n- not like, um, I want to say like admissible in court, but it's not court. Is that mm-hmm. like an official, like if you're, you know, my Apple watch watches my uh, heart rate 24 mm-hmm. seven, um, it would a doctor be able to accept that information if I decided to give it to them, if I was seeking treatment for, you know, a heart uh, related issue, like mm-hmm. it, it just strikes me that there's a lot of like those like nuances mm-hmm. and questions kind of surrounding this is is there you know has um it wouldn't be the fda what's the organization which one the, for healthcare like the the well there's different regulatory bodies for for things specifically well, so like there's there's no like one like <laughs> right and that's what, that's what I'm trying to, I was, it's not the fda but, but, like, but i get what you're i get what you're asking like is there a board somewhere that decided like we can treat this with telehealth yeah, we can't treat this there is kind of there is no governing um there, there is no federal agency for telehealth specifically. Um, the regulations that you speak of in terms of hard and fast really yeah. are the expiration or the changes that are happening with the PHE. Um, so with, with that is the Public Health Emergency Act that was put in place during the pandemic, um, which um, suspended a lot of the regulations on um, you know, what is considered acceptable, um, or appropriate, f- uh, for, uh, seeing patients, especially like new patients, um, in terms of, uh, prescribing and, and, uh, especially with controlled substances. So right now, um, the DEA is currently issuing an order. It's not, it's not set in stone yet. So there's going to be lots of exciting changes coming down the pike in the next couple of months, but the public health emergency act is expiring, um, come in June. And so now we have to kind of live in a world that's truly post-pandemic, truly we had a lot of cushion, a lot of flexibility during that time to give services over the telephone versus video versus, um, you know, how, how versus in person. So how we were able to offer care, everything kind of went out the window. It was like all, all systems go to see patients. And now we're, we're kind of trying to rein it back in. And really the concern was um, like the Ryan Haight Act of 2008, which was employed um, because uh, of some kind of nefarious websites and, and folks were able to get opioids online. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there were unfortunately deaths that were a, conse- there were a consequence of that. And so they, the FDA went, well, how are we going to regulate these drugs? You know, you can't just buy, you know, from unscrupulous places, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, hard, hard substances like that that are really dangerous. So, you know, how can we, how can we regulate that? And we really want to make sure you have an in-person visit with a, the provider that can authorize these medications. That's going to be really important. So that was suspended, you know, because of the, because of the emergency and because of the crisis. And now they're rolling that back out. And, and now the, the DEA is looking at ways that they're going to construct thoughtfully so we're all trying to move forward in a more thoughtful constructed you know meaningful way of how telehealth is going to be integrated um, how we're going to move forward in that and that really looks like controlled substances are going to require an in-person visit so that's a hard stop you know you're going to have to see someone in person if you're going to if you're going to require opioids um, or the schedule two drugs so that's going to have to require but anything schedule three four and five um, you can have um, a th- you can have three months that are, excuse me, uh, 30 days of uh, medication prescribed as a new patient um, before a refill. You're going to need an, an in-person visit. Um, and this is not set in stone. This is what's proposed. I should, I should preface that. Mm-hmm. This is what's proposed. We're expecting this to be finally ruled. We're just kind of preparing for it right now. Um, but how that affects us is that testosterone is a scheduled drug. So testosterone is a medication that we use. It's um, it's a medication for hormone replacement therapy for folks that are seeking, um, you know, gender affirming care in a f- for more masculine features. Um, 
So that drug is really essential and vital for to uh, provide care for that community. And so the fact that the scheduling restriction uh, is problematic, um, given you know the telehealth limitations of doing the in person. So we're kind of looking mm-hmm. at ways that we can we can move forward thoughtfully to ensure that the services aren't disrupted for these folks. Yeah, that's you addressed that question beautifully um, because that's that's what I was thinking about, which is like, what's to stop any, any Joe Schmo with a Zoom account mm-hmm. uh, and I guess a doctorate um, to, you know, prescribe whatever uh, or to quote unquote treat whatever um, via telehealth because there's no, you know, are there like exclusively telehealth private practices where like there's no overhead costs? And so like with, with most things in healthcare, if it's capable of great good, it also has, is capable of you know, the opposite end of the spectrum of, of not, not good things. So telehealth kind of struck me the same way of like, mm-hmm. while it is, you know, groundbreaking and incredibly convenient and fast and, and solving so many issues. Yeah. The, the, the question of either people um, getting prescribed things that they shouldn't be, or, you know, really any manner of, of, um, of things like there's, there's always that possibility. So yeah, th- I, that's interesting to think of that. The, the pandemic kind of had a, a, a release of like just just treat patients we just need to see people uh and now that that's expiring we're gonna have to like reframe <laughs> how we go about stuff um and now i'm also thinking like i get prescribed adderall um which mm-hmm. i've talked about in our two episodes on adhd so go listen to those um but that's uh the same situation that's class two two i think uh so i have to or it's a controlled substance so i have to be seen I think I am every three months now. I can get a 90-day supply, uh, but it's via telehealth. But I had to be prescribed in person, like a couple of visits in person. So I know that, you know, rigmarole of, of how can we get people the medication they need, but if there's situations where they can't come in or they're uncomfortable to come in, how can we solve that but still be safe about it? But like, I, yeah, I feel like there's probably a lot of push and pull on how all of this shakes out, um, which as is a lot of the things that we talk about on this episode, especially in regards to like politics or like governing boards or policies or procedures, like makes my brain melt. So we won't go too far (laughs) into that. Um, But to, to touch on the other thing you talked about, which is seeing a patient in their lived space. I thought that was so interesting because I, you know, as somebody that's on zoom calls in a non-medical capacity a lot, um, I always am concerned with like having nothing in the background and wanting to present just myself. Um, but th- th- what you said about seeing a patient in a live space makes me think like maybe the opposite might be true for telehealth where, because we know through the podcast, there's a lot of factors that go into treating a patient, uh, their live space, the living, their living conditions, um, might drastically impact the diagnosis or the treatment that you're giving them. So Maybe there's, is, is there merit to seeing more of like, than just, you know, a patient's head on a screen? Is it like, can you zoom out a bit? Like, how does, how do you, how do you feel that out? Cause like, I feel like it would be a little bit weird to be like, can you show me your living room? Like mm-hmm. you don't do that, but like sometimes maybe if it's a difficult diagnosis or a difficult, difficult treatment, mm-hmm. that might be a valid question. Like how do how do you feel out what you can ask of a patient um, or ask to see from a patient? excuse me, from a patient via telehealth. Is yeah. that even a thing? Uh, I th- yes, I think it's a thing. I think it's a thing just in terms of a therapeutic relationship. Anytime you're asking a patient to dip into their intimate life, you know, when you're, whether it be, you know, a physical demonstration or an emotional, you know, reveal, I, I think we always kind of have to ask permission. It's okay. We, I, this is why I'm seeking this information. Right. This is, you know, it's, it's in service of helping you or connecting you to the right resources. I think particularly with like the live space, it's it's more specific to like, can I see you walk or do you mm. have stairs or who helps you do the dishes or I can, you know, I, I think there is a lot of social work and um, a lot of case management and home health that is better served by seeing someone's, you know, someone's 
home, mm-hmm. home environment. Like you can identify fall risks, so trip hazards, or is that well lit? But in the background, your house looks pretty dark. Do you have a lot of rugs? Are you a fall right. risk? Like things like of that nature, I think are really beneficial to see. And if those questions are coming up, there are, there are yeah. home health nurses that whose job it is is yeah. to go into people's homes. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's the live the live space, or let me see you interact with like you know, can can you. Put your shoes on for me and you see mm-hmm. how well your dexterity is on that. I mean, I, I think there's some benefits to seeing someone in their in their home in that respect that you don't get when they come into the clinic. Or or particularly for folks that are unable to communicate really well to have family members that are there that maybe mm-hmm. can't travel the distance that can help facilitate. You have elderly parents or someone who has a post-CVA or a stroke, you know, who may... Oh, sorry. Who may have um, communication deficits or, or focal neurological deficits? You know, to have a caregiver or multiple caregivers that are able to fill in the the, the picture um, for the clinician that's really helpful. Um, and sometimes, you know, through the physical um, uh, transportation, you know, the physical burden of that, that that's not always possible. Yeah. So there, there, I think there are benefits just to doing remote service line for that. Um, you know, my other heart project is I look at um, digital equity and digital inclusion. Mm -hmm. So those are the two kind of cornerstones of the program I'm trying to build at Howard Brown Health. And and really digital equity is looking at that has, everyone has access to technological services and, and, and these resources, everyone has access to them. Everyone has, you know, we're trying to find ways and that, you know, sometimes <laughs> that could mean, you know, like broadband, you know, broadband internet, you know, the, I, you know, I can't rewire parts of the city, like where, where I'm operating out of as a South side of Chicago, mm-hmm. where the, we have, you know, certain spots that are pretty spotty. Um, for, for connectivity. So, I mean, I can't rewire that, but I can try to help folks, um, you know, by either doing like remote van service where we can bring iPads to you and you can connect with the clinician. You know, it's a project that we're thinking about doing or, um, you know, helping, helping folks connect in, you know, in coming actually into clinic and then connect to the clinician. You know, there's, there's other ways that we're looking at to, to help provide resources for them. So that's the d- digital equity part. The digital inclusion part is how well you you are able to then participate in this technological uh, experience. You know, how what is your health literacy, what's your technolog- technological literacy, you know, how well can you um, uh, capitalize on this on this experience um, with your healthcare? You know, can, can you really be able to gain the most out of that? You know, and how can we do that? You know, th- that is that, you know, digital, the, in fact, I think that Howard Brown Health has like a digital like senior tech connect program and there's other, lots of other examples that, that the organization has done, but I want to try to streamline that. And so everyone feels capable and competent to be able to engage in that. So that's the, dec- you know, the, the equity and the um, inclusion. So everyone feels included and, and as the uh, all the tools requisite to participate and to um, get the most out of their healthcare. Yeah, you just transitioned flawlessly <laughs> and also kind of answered my next question, which was, yeah. you know, we talk about telehealth in the way that it's, you know, reducing barriers to, to access healthcare for people. And it's, you know, allowing people to, to um, have access to, to, to medications and to treatment when otherwise they might not have that. Um, but there's the flip side of that, which is maybe in some instances you're switching out one barrier for another, which is, um, you know, the the digital literacy being able to just even if you have technology to be able to operate it um and that's not just an age thing that could be um you know uh, accessibility in terms of you know vision impairments or or you know motor skills or whatever it might be to just access that um and then um to have internet itself itself uh, like you said outside of chicago there's not you know um if, if you don't have a cell phone, uh, there's not maybe a, a public library you can go to that has a webcam. Like there's not, you know, mm-hmm. that access for things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a fascinating point regarding telehealth, which is obviously it's still a barrier, but I feel like probably, if, you know, affects a fewer amount of people than, you know, the barrier of coming into a clinic might. If, mm-hmm. Is that a correct assumption that like? Uh, yeah, I think. I think that we're trying to serve the greatest, we're trying to do the most um, and serve the greatest amount of folks we can. And so really the populations that are rural, that um, are maybe uh, in locations that um, are 
you know, the, the access to a clinic is really challenging or difficult or you don't have the resources to be able to get a bus or an Uber or wherever to get there, you know, then you're really reaching those folks where they're at. I think that's beautiful. We do have a digital divide, though. That's what mm-hmm. you're describing. The digital divide is those that have iPhones with phone capabilities and that can download Zoom easily and put the app on and those that can't that you know, that, that have maybe not have a cell phone or doesn't, they don't have a plan or they don't have a, a video uh, capabilities. You know, mm-hmm. so you're looking at you know, if age is, the, age is a factor, if, or if, if income's a factor in that, you know, that, that digital divide and, and then not having those folks be able to find points of entry into healthcare. So, you know, we're trying to balance all these features. I don't think there's a one right answer. Like telehealth serves just this pocket of, of folks that, that, you know, <laughs> that have needs and, and in-person services pocket. I think there's a lot of crossover and bridging mm-hmm. and we have some transient folks too that might be coming in and out of the state or, um, you know, and, and so we're just trying to kind of meet people where they're at and yeah. whatever um, modality makes sense for them. Yeah. And it also strikes me that like that digital divide might not uh, be as like clear as you think it is. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of you know, I, my, my aunt is uh, mid seventies, lovely, healthy person. Mm-hmm. Um, bless her. Can't remember her iCloud password. Like she yeah. has an iPhone and has all the means, but like to, if, if her provider was like, or, or for some reason she was unable to come into, you know, her normal primary care provider and her provider was like, Hey, download this app and log in. Yeah. I would have to like sit next to her and like, let's walk through these steps. So like that, that digital divide, I think looks differently than probably people imagine it to. Um, so that's also part of the challenge is not only, you know, giving internet access to people who might not have it or, um, you know, giving physical devices if, if there's internet there or whatever it is, it's also might be, you know, walking an elderly person through, you know, how, mm-hmm. how to access all of this stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like the, the provider end of it um, and logistics because um, it's a it's a running um, kind of theme or, or concept where um, healthcare these days is especially, or at least it feels like there's an especial, a special emphasis on like efficiency um, and Unfortunately, a lot of um, metrics for success or um, drivers of profit in a lot, of, a lot of instances is how many patients you can see. And telehealth strikes me as being, you know, advantageous when, where that's concerned in terms of you can you don't have to wait for a patient to make their way in down the hallway into the into the clinic room. You can just click start and they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is do you find that that you know time saving efficiency is um, a long-term a benefit um because the other thing like i can i can hear like my traditionalist family back home in like small town michigan be like there's no substitute for <laughs> you know spending your time with your doctor and mm. there's that like building that relationship mm. and all those things so mm. does telehealth take that like uh intangible person-to-person um you know connection and jeopardize it or does it make it possible to see more people or what, how do you how do you think about all of that or like a, you know what that kind of thing that potential detractors might say? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple pieces to that. Um, you know, one does it does it detract from like intimacy? It depends on what the patient's expectations are. Hmm. Um, so at the very beginning, I said it's not going anywhere, and it's what pe- patients are asking. So if a patient, you know, if like your family wants to still see be in be seen in person like there's always going to exist clinics that are going to like that's never going to go away so i think it it really is what the patient's expectations are what their needs are what makes them feel confident and well taken care of Um, because even if they have like the best telehealth visit ever and it's super long if they don't feel like it's the same kind of experience then it's going to mar that memory for them even if they get great care uh so i you know patient expectation is the first thing so Folks that will, that feel comfortable with technology, that are interested in technology, or that want to engage in that, will I think that'll always exist. And so I, I don't I don't think for them that they have uh, the press gainies have always been um, um, high on that. Press gainies being our patient yes. satisfaction surveys. <laughs> yeah, uh, press, yeah. So our patient satisfaction is what we've reported, um, you know, high with, with telehealth. Um, they haven't felt a deficit on that. Um, I think it's if you force someone to do telehealth and they want it in person, mm-hmm. they're going to be disappointed. Um, so giving patients options, 
options to care. And that's really, I think, where we're moving towards is how many ways can we um, touch base with our community and serve our community and what kind of modalities can we use? So, yeah. you know, can we do in person? Can we do te- the telephone? Can we write right now? I'm exploring asynchronous routes of, of how we communicate to so what, what fits in your life and what's the expectation. There's a little bit of an edging of an expectation to do fast, almost like fast track medicine um, where I have a symptom and I want a medication like in 20 minutes. Um, so I don't, <laughs> and that's kind of almost becoming like the patient expectation mm. for that. Um, so I, you know, I think there's a, it's a balance, you know, everything we're kind of walking forward with these new advances, um, you know, trying to move thoughtfully and, um, consider it of what makes good medicine, what's good science and what's safe and what, patients are expect, expecting and what the healthcare delivery system is, is pushing towards. So, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, see as many patients as you can in an hour. I will argue that telehealth, because you often have to do a lot of like tech troubleshooting with patients, mm-hmm. they log in, they have connectivity issues. They don't know how to open the zoom link. There's something, the sounds off, they muted themselves. So you have to do a lot of troubleshooting too. And patients are still, at least in our system, they still meet with an MA first or a nurse first and collect a little bit of data, um, you know, whatever vitals they have, um, you're, they're able to obtain, there's some questionnaires that they do. So we still have like this kind of what we, what we call a rooming process where a patient is in a virtual room. They're not in a physical space, but they're still kind of meeting with multiple people and having kind of a stepwise fashion in their yeah. appointment. So it still takes a little bit of time, but you're right. Like I, uh, patients, I could have patients lined up, you know, all over in like my virtual waiting room. Room and I don't have to kind of clean the room or switch out or like I, they can be all over the state and you know it just if an ideal setting it can be just be really rapid fire um, but there's you know considerations on, on how we want to um, delegate the appointment the, a, a lot of times we're seeing right now is how appropriate or not appropriate the visit is and like what are the next steps are and so there's a lot of coordination and, and again being really thoughtful about how how to schedule how to schedule this going forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, again, pivoting flawlessly into my next question, um, which was when you introduce telemedicine to providers that previously have not practiced, you know, via um, telemedicine, what kind of soft skills or I guess in some instances like hard skills, soft skills being like things you don't list on a resume, but things a, a provider might need to be able to do in order to treat people effectively via via um, telemedicine. And I think you kind of mentioned some of them of like troubleshoot, like you have to kind of be a tech troubleshooter mm-hmm. now too, in addition to just being able to yeah. effectively diagnose <laughs> yeah, yeah. and treat patients. Yeah, like, do IT. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the soft skills are that you have to be flexible. We had to learn a lot of soft skills in the pandemic, you know, yeah. I, like that. I think we kind of all got thrown, clinicians did, we all got thrown into it and you had to kind of figure it out on the fly on how, how to continue working. Um, the... Other skills are, you know, you have to find creative ways to obtain information from folks when you can't touch them. So that, you know, how do you engage with a patient physical exam when I can't put my hands on you or listen to your heart? You know, what other, what other questions can I ask specifically? Um, what can you show me? Um, what limitations am I thinking about? How does that affect my differential? Like, what am I thinking about when you say X, Y, and Z? What would the next bit of information that I would need to make sure you're getting care? So you, you have to think as a clinician in a different way than you would in person because you have different data points. Um, so it's, I think it's a different skill set to do telemedicine. And again, it's not going to replace physical exam entirely. It's, you know, that's, it'll never, it'll never replace it, but it's a good, it's a good marriage. Um, and if you have deep concerns about a patient, you would triage them directly to somewhere else, like higher level. Like I had lots of times because in the pandemic, I was mostly working with infectious, you know, infectious disease, you're working COVID. Lots of times when you have to just assess someone on camera, is this patient getting sicker or not? You know, you need to go to the ER. You're, I can tell looking at you on, on video that your shortness of breath, your color's off. I can, I can look at your face. I can see that you're, you're working really hard to breathe. I can see that you're, you know, I can look at your skin changes. You know, there's things that I can identify, you know, over camera to then refer you to higher level care. Yeah. So, this... Uh, when you were talking through all of that, it, it also kind of reminded me that like there might be even, you know, additional like self, um, not self-policing because I don't like using that word, but like self-examination a provider might have to do when they're treating people via telehealth because 
you know, in person, you have to evaluate like biases or assumptions you might make about a patient mm -hmm. of just them there in that office in an isolated, mm -hmm. you know, isolated encounter. But if you're seeing someone via telehealth, you might be getting glimpses, yeah, of their of their home, or they might not dress the way that they would to go into a, mm -hmm. um, a visit. So, you know, you, I feel like you could make unconscious um, assumptions or have biases based on, you know, even the quality of their connection is, mm -hmm. you know, that's real pixely because they have bad internet. You know, if I was a provider in the back of my head, I might be thinking, you know, oh, like, okay, lower income, lower access to like you, you know, mm -hmm. you're consciously or not thinking those things regarding that. And that can either, you know, in some cases negatively, you know, impact the type of care that the patient mm -hmm. might get be treated with. So I feel like you have to know yourself and your thinking patterns pretty well. Like you mentioned, there's the tech work that you have to be able to like walk people through stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you, I would imagine, yeah, like you said, you kind of have to alter the way that you go about getting information, which I think is a super interesting point because we talked about that again in the ADHD episode where um, we were reevaluating how we test for ADHD. It's less of a strict, like, I'm going to sit you in a quiet room alone and ask you to do these memory tests. It's more <laughs> of a, I want to talk to you and figure out, you know, tell me a story about, you know, a time that this condition has impacted you and, and walk me through what your day-to-day -day is life and like, and that gives a good picture of you know what a patient might be struggling with, I feel like that kind of has a similar application here, where you might not be able to do those physical in-person tests, but you can communicate with somebody and kind of try to get those answers out that way. And that probably involves a lot more um, uh, charisma. I would, I would <laughs> that's a bad word for it, but like you got to be able to chat somebody up uh, yeah. to to some extent and, and get the answers out of them, especially in cases where a patient might not be that type of, of patient that's like, I get on a telehealth call and I'm telling them about everything and I'm fine. Like I'm good to chat, but some people are not yeah. open books like that. And so it yeah. involves a lot of that interpersonal skills to to kind of understand and, and talk to somebody and, and meet them at a personal, but also really impersonal level. Like it's kind of a weird, weird um, oxymoron. So you kind of touched on it at various points throughout the episode, but I'm curious about the the future of telehealth. Some people like to say that like the future is now when they have a telehealth appointment in general, and it still does feel a little bit that way to me. Um, the other day, I was like, I think I have a sinus infection, and I got tele you know antibiotics via a telehealth thing, um, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, <laughs> but I feel like there's so much more potential here, and you kind of alluded to that of like. Um, you said like asynchronous, um, mm -hmm. which I would assume is just like sending videos back and forth, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I don't know. Walk me through, <laughs> walk me through either in your wildest dreams or like in a very tangible near future. What's, what's mm -hmm. coming up either yeah. at Howard Brown or Nationwide? Yeah. Great. So I have some big pipe dreams. <laughs> uh, one of which is, um, because my folk, I had to mention this, my focus point uh, specifically for our high brown health is looking at TNB care and expanding services for TNB care um, in multiple capacities. We can have another episode on medical aesthetics for TNB care, which is my other my other passion piece. Medical aesthetics. Okay. For TNB care. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm writing it down. Okay. We'll, <laughs> yeah. Do we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in okay. another another episode. But um, so how we can support patients. Um, there are some, and you had mentioned this earlier, there are some websites, some meaning I can't even, I couldn't even give you a number of how many websites that operate exclusively in a telehealth capacity, mm -hmm. never seen a person in, in, uh, and they've never seen a patient in person. Uh, they look at STI treatment and they look at contraceptive counseling and hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't want to name them because uh, it might be weird, but, um, how they operate is in an asynchronous fashion. So I would like to move forward and, and integrate this in some capacity where a patient would have a, a need. Let's just say, for example, you know, hormone therapy, I have an interest for that. They would fill out a medical uh, history and intake form that we would create for them. They would give us documentation, whatever their insurance coverage, we would, they would basically enroll themselves um, we would have to do some verification on our back end, but they would submit a request based off of their, off of their profile, uh, a provider at a different point would review the information, would then send 
lab requests for that patient to be able to be screened. If it was for hormone, we'd check their horm- baseline hormone levels. If everything came back, we'd then write them prescription for medicine without ever actually seeing the patient. Wow. So that's like an asynchronous because it's a really specific health issue that can be managed in these very specific ways. Mm-hmm. It allows the patient to engage on their time so they don't have to set up, you know, right now with telemedicine, it's it's still like a doctor's visit. We have to set up a time and a date. Yeah. Yeah, And you, and you, yeah, nine to five. So you, you know, you have to make sure you're on Zoom and it's X many minutes. And lots of time my patients are like in the car, like through a drive through, getting food on their lunch break, you know, (laughs) or like in bed or, you know, what I see, you know, I have all kinds of stories. But, um, you know, but this would be, a way that if at three in the morning, someone was like, you know what, I have this really weird itchy infection and I'm Mm -hmm. kind of worried that I have an STI. And then you could send a message and describe your symptoms and create a profile and someone would get back to you within a a few hours at a different point and then gather more information if they needed to or give you a quick call or touch base or, you know, make sure your allergies were correct and then send you medicine. So like the, I, that that way with really specific avenues of health conditions, I think um, open up a whole world for yeah. us. And there are already organizations that are operating in that way. And so I think that we would behoove us to get on board, like yeah. to get you know to advance to move and in advance. That was prep is another great way. I'm looking at yeah. trying to to do asynchronous um, prep starts or you know we can. You're interested in that? Let's get some uh, basic labs. We'll do some screening for you. Connect the prep coordinator. We're gonna make sure you get this medicine. Oh, you're good. Clear. Here's the medicine. You know. So there's there's just um, more more seamless kind of a rolling approach rather than a, a a stop point. You see a healthcare provider. Whatever happens, it ends. You go to the next the next visit. You know, kind of it's a more rolling, um, rounded approach mm-hmm. to healthcare delivery. Yeah, I love that, and that actually reminded me of an experience I completely forgot about when I first moved to the city. I had. Um, I was on the tail end of insurance from a job that I left right before I moved and I didn't know what Howard Brown was, didn't like know how to get into a clinic. And I was having issues about mental health issues with depression, which I had been prescribed, you know, uh, um, I think like Prozac or something before had been off it for a while and it was just, you know, coming back. And so there was, I think I Googled and found one of those companies that was like, I did that whole intake process, gave them all of my medical history, very mm-hmm. in-depth, um, my insurance, and they like virtually processed my intake. And then I described what I was seeking treatment for in like, it felt like Facebook Messenger, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, you, your doctor is this person, they'll get back to you within four hours. Um, and then I got a ping, ping and they're like, yep, this you know makes sense. Asked me a few questions and then I had my medicine in like a week. Yeah. Uh, and that was just uh, a, a astoundingly fast way of, of getting medicine that I was like really needed in the moment. So yeah, that makes sense that that's the, the next avenue because it's also just incredibly convenient as a patient to just, you know, let me just quick message my doctor back as opposed to like, let me leave the room, find a quiet place, mm-hmm. sit down, which sounds silly because even that is so easy. Just, like, <laughs> I know our expectations are getting well. Right, well. right. That's, that's the danger. So, um, yeah. but yeah, the, the, the possibilities. And I feel like in terms of like tech that might be usable, I mean, maybe this is a better question for like an Apple executive or something, but like in terms of, your iPhones and your Apple watches are getting to know so much about you, even in terms of like blood pressure and, and pulse and pulse ox and stuff like that, that like, I don't, I mean, I feel like it's feasible that like some of that technology would be able to be incorporated in actual medical treatment. Yeah. Like coming soon. I don't know. I, I think, I think you're right. I think that the future is going to be probably like a little chip that you put in your arm that downloads all your health data for I like, and then like, think that's a black mirror episode. <laughs> Um, I don't know. But we'll keep our tin, oh, yeah. tin foil hats in the yeah. drawer for now about that all. But yeah. the, the last thing I thought was interesting, and this is a concept that I've been coming across in a lot of episodes and a lot in the way that we market um, healthcare here at Howard Brown, which is healthcare being a, like a, you know, an isolated individual experience versus healthcare as kind of um, a part of a community really embedded in a patient's life. Um, in a patient's whole life, not just mm-hmm. their medical symptoms, but their identity, their community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. And telehealth really physically brings a healthcare experience into somebody's home, mm-hmm. which I think is a really powerful concept because, you know, if I'm thinking about a condition that I have, it's really easy to compartmentalize that 
if I'm going into an office, I leave most of my thoughts about that condition. If, it, if it's, you know, manageable and being treated or, you know, all of those things kind of like stays in that little box in my mind. Maybe that's just a me thing. But um, if I'm going about my day, working from home, quick jump on a call, suddenly I'm addressing that health concern in a space that I'm in all the time. And it kind of makes me rethink, you know, treatment for it. And, and it, it grounds it in a way that feels a little bit different to me, if that makes sense. Um, maybe that's just me being like touchy feely about it all. But I, you know, if, if I'm struggling with like, um, and I say this hypothetically, if I'm like struggling with adhering to a medication, it's, you know, easy to forget about it. If I'm seeing a doctor and then going home, um, you know, put the prescription on the passenger seat of the car ride and forget about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm taking the call on my living room sofa, it's like, this is here now. I don't know. Maybe is that, is that a valid, like, yeah, I think, well, I think what you just <laughs> actually reminds me of like a Bo Burnham. I don't know if you've ever watched this like pandemic. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, like the spaces that we live in the, like the intimacy spaces that we mm-hmm. share. So I, I think that you're right that telehealth is more intimate because you're coming into a patient's world rather than them coming into yours. Right. So there is like an intimacy, intimacy sharing like a sense piece. of ownership too. Yeah. And, I don't know. and a separation of space. So, you know, when you had to work from home, it was really hard to distinguish like what was leisure time, what was work time, because you just had the same space. And so you had these facets of your life that were like bleeding into each other. And I think, you know, in receiving healthcare in the same way, it's like this other it's like another avenue that's like in your leisure space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can understand that. Just like psychologically trying to have the benefits of compartmentalization with like going out, out and seeing, seeking services going out. I go shopping here. I go to my grocery store here. Like if you just got everything, you just sat home and just like ordered, you know, Amazon like Fresh Direct or whatever, right. like all the time. Like you just, you just get you, everything is like in, it's convenient, but it's all enmeshed in one physical space. And mm-hmm. so I think you're right. I think there's some interesting just psychology in that. Yeah. Um, the healthcare delivery, again, it, it's, it's, I think, I'm sorry, can we cut out all the agains that I say? It sounds... No, yeah, you're yeah. fine. I'll listen to uh, okay, it. It yeah. sounds weird, okay. for sure. Uh, if it um, serves the patient's needs, if if it makes sense, if it's convenient for them, if it appeals to them, then I think that there will be a space for it. If it doesn't make sense, if it feels intrusive or burdensome, then there's other ways that we can serve the community. Yeah. Um, you know, really that's, I think that the, the, the gist or the take home is that we're looking at expanding all facets of healthcare delivery to, to, to fit whatever expectation and whatever lifestyle or whatever, whatever, uh, experience you're having on the outside world. Like if you want things delivered to you, you know, that's, that makes sense for you to have everything like in your nest and in your home and medicine, you know, mail order to you and you have your, your care providers that zoom in in your house and that feels good to you, then we'll stick with that. If you, if you're like your family and you want to go see a, like a doctor and go, you know, I want someone to put their hands on me or, you know, ironically, I love tell, I love telehealth. I personally, I think I'm really passionate about it, but I also really like going to my doctor. Like I like going and seeing someone in person too. You know, I have two little kids and it's a pain in the butt to try to get both my children down. So telehealth appointments really benefit Mm -hmm. my life in that way. So I, I, I see all the worlds, how they all kind of collide together. And I think that we just find service delivery where it makes sense. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like people probably think about telehealth in like an all or nothing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, where I'm gonna not even going to be able to go into a doctor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just there if you want it, if it works for you, if mm-hmm. that's what's convenient for that. And it's not, that's all you can do. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not one or the other. So that's a great reminder. And you kind of said like, what's the, what's the take home, which is my last question. So again, another flawless transition. Um, but what, you know, if you had to, you know, put a bow on this and morals of the story regarding telehealth, um, what what you want people to remember, what would that be? Um, that Howard Brown affirms who you are. And that means that in all spaces, we see you and we hold space for you, for um, your care. Um, and I speak specifically for my in my TNB folks, my TNB community in that sense that, that coming in through the doors, I think there's a lot of benefit in the physical safety that Howard Brown Health provides providers that are also the care team um 
was really in service of this mission that we want to provide care to, we want to give everyone the opportunity to care in a safe space. So whatever that feels like to you, if you want to come into the, and be connected into the community and be, you know, in, in a space here that sees you, that affirms who you are, or if you want to be in your home, you know, there, telehealth has a tremendous capacity to, to reach um, folks at a great distance. You know, it is a dream of mine too, to, uh, extend just beyond the state borders into states that are uh, hostile to TNB policies or, you know, that are right now politically pretty tumultuous, that, that there's a risk of folks that aren't getting care. And so that ultimately that would be a goal of mine too, to, to protect the health status of those folks that really are vulnerable. Um, so Howard Brown is working on that. Uh, it's my mission to create a, a solid foundation and a groundwork um, that is sustainable and thoughtful and meaningful for the future for telehealth um, because it's not going anywhere um, and it it will um, try to do the greatest good for folks that's a, that's the goal so well said <laughs> so so eloquent thank you thank you for sharing that and i'm um inspired about the the and encouraged about the direction um that telehealth is taking us i think like you said it it removes barriers for people if they have them. Um, it's an option, it's not you know, a, a requirement, but it, it really, I think, has the potential to really change a lot of lives, especially in um, these certain areas of medicine, like you said, for you know, RTNB patients or for even reproductive healthcare. Um, as the situation around both of those continues to develop, I think tele telehealth and telemedicine will be more important than ever. Um, so I'm excited. Thank you. Um, I'm going to include links in the description of the episode for people um, who want to connect with Howard Brown's telehealth department or curious how the, all that works. The uh, the link will be in the episode description. Um, but in the meantime, Sam, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I have like three more episodes I want to cover with you, so I'm sure <laughs> we'll get you back here at some yeah. point. But um, yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing your valuable time because I know you are busy and seeing people in doing all of the good work that we just talked about. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Matt. And that has been our episode about telemedicine. Like I said, during the episode, I will put links to Howard Brown's telemedicine website in the description if you are curious. Also down there, you'll find a link to a short little survey. It's about 30 seconds, five questions. I want to hear from you about what you think about charting per health. If you have 30 seconds, I would so appreciate your feedback. Thanks for listening.